Hi, and welcome to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast about anything and everything adoption related. Today, we talk to Korean adoptee Marie Kinder. Marie is a multi award winning entrepreneur and founder of K Beauty online store Beauty and Soul. She's widely credited with making K Beauty more accessible in the UK. A third culture kid, she was raised in Australia, Japan, Holland, and England, where she currently resides. Given her own struggles, Marie is also a huge advocate of mental health. Outside of running her business, she loves traveling, eating, and cuddles with her gorgeous pup, Kimchi. Marie shares the story of how Beauty and Soul started four years ago and gives us a glimpse of what's required to run a successful business. Spoiler alert, it's not always a walk in the park. We also talk about Marie's birth family search, her connection to Korea, self-care during COVID times, and of course, skincare. This is a story about a successful business, but it's really about challenging yourself and growing in small ways every day, even if you struggle with your mental health and self-doubt. Marie is also the loveliest and most relatable boss lady you will ever meet. After every interview, I always say to Ryan, that was one of my favorite interviews ever, but this really was, and I hope you find Marie as inspiring as we did. Before we get started with today's episode, we just want to say a massive thank you to our two newest Patreons, Hannah Bergman from Canberra and Tony Kova, who Hannah met at ICA a few years back. Thank you both so, so much for your support. Nice to see you again. Hi, nice to see you. <laughs> thank you so much for agreeing to talk to us today. Hey, that's fine. My pleasure. You're working from home today? Yeah, working from home, um, probably like most people. I've <laughs> 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 been like this for the last year, so, yeah. <laughs> well, you've been working from home. Oh, you've been in lockdown now for, this is the third lockdown in the UK? Yeah, it's been the third strict full lockdown, but we've pretty much been in and out of lockdown since March last year. So we had like easy restrictions in the summer for like a bit where we were allowed to meet in groups of six, which was very exciting. <laughs> and then <laughs> after cases surged, they were like, nope, <laughs> enough fun, back into lockdown. Um, and then, yeah, we've pretty much been on like full on lockdown. So don't leave your house unless it's necessary for, yeah, the last month, um, including Christmas. So that was pretty, that was pretty awful. Mm. But yeah, and I think we'll be in lockdown until March. <laughs> Does it get easier, do you think? Do you get used to it? Or? I think I have. It's it's really strange because at the beginning, not much had really changed because I, I work from home a lot anyway. So when everyone was kind of saying like, oh, it's really strange adjusting to work from home, I was like, well, this is what I do normally. Um, but, I mean, I thought it would be a few months now and obviously like <laughs> we're nearly a year in and I'm just like, oh, my God, I miss kind of socialising and speaking to people and I'm an extrovert. I get my energy off speaking to people. And yeah, without that, I've just found it like quite difficult to motivate myself or quite difficult to get excited. And yeah, I think like a lot of people, it's just more mentally taxing rather than, you know, anything else. Do you have endless Zoom meetings? Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so funny because at the beginning, I used to like, you know, be all excited, like, <laughs> my hair, and then, like, now it's just, like, 
happy bottoms on underneath the desk. <laughs> um, and then like socializing with friends, it'd be like quizzes, quizzes. And, you know, the first few were fun. And then, yeah, after like <laughs> the 10th one, like, okay, I'm done with the Zoom quizzes. <laughs> Do you just download quizzes from somewhere or, like, are they, like, trivia quizzes? Yeah, like, trivia quizzes. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's very English, but we love a pub quiz. So, like, we normally do pub quizzes, you know, maybe once a week. It's just fun. Um, and so, yeah, I guess everyone thought, let's just bring that online. But it's not really the same because at the end of the day, you're just in a room by yourself with a glass of wine. <laughs> it's not the same as, like, a pub quiz. Um, but, you know, needs must. <laughs> And I, and I guess the winner doesn't get a slab, so well, exactly. that's a big it's difference. Like, the winner just gets a little clap on screen. <laughs> <laughs> so you were actually first adopted to Australia, mm-hmm. um, where you spent the first 11 years of your life. Yeah. And then you moved around quite a lot. So after that, you spent two years in Tokyo, and then six years in Holland, yeah. And then your family finally settled in the UK, yeah, yeah. Um, that's like quite an unusual <laughs> upbringing, I think. Like, what was that like? Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because I don't think I appreciated it as a child. In fact, probably the opposite. I probably hated it as a child because you know, no child wants to be uprooted and go to like several different schools and make new friends. And I know looking back I used to be like not again and get really upset but I think as I got older now I look back and I'm kind of you know appreciative that that was my upbringing one thing it does make it difficult to explain where I'm from and why my accent is the way it is (laughs) so a lot of people when they meet me they're like where are you from because before I got married I had a Dutch surname I clearly look Asian um, my accent at the time was between American and Australian and everyone's like, whoa, like, where are you from? Um, and yeah, I think now it's just kind of, I've rehearsed it. It's like, I'm adopted from Korea, but I grew up in Australia, Holland and England. My dad's Dutch, my mum's English, Irish. That's me. <laughs> um, and then confounded by the fact that I went to American international schools, like my accent just became really oh. strange. Yeah. So, yeah, looking back, loved international schools. You know, I remember being in a grade where I had, I think, 30 different nationalities represented. So I think back on that, and I think that's really exciting. That opened me up to culture. That gave me my wanderlust. Now I feel like I need to explore every country there is on earth because of it. Um, But, yeah, like growing up as a kid, it's tough. Like you never want to be uprooted and make new friends and there's a pang of jealousy every time I speak to someone and they're like oh I'm going back to my hometown and meeting up with my school friends because that obviously is like not something that I can do um but yeah it definitely has its advantages as well I think Hannah and I have kind of perhaps similar backgrounds with moving around um and I also well I went to an American school and then an international school um but before we kind of get into that, I'm I'm curious about um, your early years in, in Australia because 
you know, obviously Hannah and I are Australian adoptees. So <laughs> yeah, where, where were you adopted to and what was life like before you moved to Tokyo? So my parents were living in Melbourne at the time um, in the Dandenong. So I was adopted there. So I was adopted when I was four months old, um, came from um, ECW straight into Melbourne and then when I was two, moved to Adelaide for a year and then back to Sydney where I had like most of my school years. Um, so I only really remember Sydney, um, Hornsby Heights, shout out if anyone <laughs> that place. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's strange when I think about growing up there because I mean, I definitely didn't know anyone else that was Korean, let alone adopted. Um, my, you know, my mom's blonde, blue eyes, my dad's Dutch. So, you know, <laughs> I clearly don't look anything like them. Um, but I didn't, I think growing up, I was just like, I wanted to be your kind of typical like Aussie kid, like loves the beach, being outside. I didn't really like grasp the fact or, you know, Korea was a totally different country that I just did not connect with at all. For me, it was just like, I'm Australian, I'm Australian, I'm Australian. Um, and then, you know, I sure... I know a lot of adoptees probably feel the same, but like I always felt affronted. I just remember being a kid and being like, when someone would be like, oh yeah, but like, where are you really from? And I'd be like, well, what do you mean? Where am I really from? Like Australia was all I've known. Like I'm from Australia. Like my passport's Australia. I'm just as Australian as you are. So yeah, it was, I, I had Asian kids, I think in my grade, but I didn't, in my head I was like, yeah, but I'm not like, I'm not that because I'm Australian. My parents are like white. Like I just didn't, yeah, didn't grasp the fact that I was, I was any different. I was thinking, I was, I'm not sure if um, you've ever thought about this, but, but recently actually <laughs> my therapist suggested that I read this book about, um, third culture kids because I also yeah. like moved around a lot <laughs> um, and I was wondering yeah how do you think um that experience of moving around a lot and starting again a lot and um experiencing lots of different cultures do you think that's like shaped who you are today yeah definitely it's funny you mentioned that book because my therapist also <laughs> recommended <laughs> <laughs> and I was like yeah 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 yeah, fine um and then I have the uh, book wait, and wait, I wait. <laughs> what is the title of this book is it literally third culture kid it's kid. literally third culture kid which is interesting because when I was speaking to him he was like well you're a third culture kid and I was like well, like what what is that and then I looked it up and I was like oh my god that's exactly what I am and like the phrase is kind of stuff um but I haven't read the book I've read like two chapters. <laughs> and is it, have you found it like enlightening or good? <laughs> well, yeah, just, I mean, the first two chapters have been good, yeah. <laughs> okay, I need to, I, I, must, I must read it. I think in a way it's been really positive and I think it definitely gives you a certain like outlook and like appreciation of different cultures um it makes you kind of a worldly citizen and I think that's a great thing I think on the I wouldn't say negative aspect but like the more challenging aspects of it is that 
I have very a lot <laughs> I've been called out from it from like friends like I think I just have very transient relationships in life like with friends because I think having grown up in different places I just I'm like okay I'm here now I need to make friends and then I go and in my head I'm like well I don't need to stay in contact with you because I need to try and make I have I have to save the energy to make friends in my new environment and I think that's something that I definitely struggled with because now obviously I've got my roots in London and you know it's it's something that I'm like oh no I need to like cultivate these relationships I've built over the last 10 years to me that's crazy that I've been you know friends with someone for 15 years now that lives in the same place like that's just such a new concept to me because I used to move around like every you know few years because even within Holland and Australia I'd moved around um so definitely in terms of like friendships and things being transient but then I think also that is quite a good skill because I think if you dump me in a room I'll find something to talk about with someone (laughs) because I've had to go out there and try and connect with people um, from like a really, you know, from age five, 11, 14 and 18. So in that respect, I think it's good. Um, I think inherently because you've grown up in different cultures and different countries, you've met new people, your network is, you know, great that, that is also a positive thing but yeah for me it was definitely the kind of transient friendships um and it wasn't that I necessarily didn't want to like keep in touch with these people but I just it never occurred to me that like that's what friends do that have been like lifelong friends because I was like well I only knew you for two years when I went to school in this you know in this school so yeah that that's been and you know when I've been speaking to people like my therapist who recommended me this book, it's, it's about, I guess, understanding that about yourself. And yeah, I think just being a little bit more aware that it's not that you want to be that way. It's probably just a result of like how you brought up, which is probably the same as a lot of things, I think. Does it feel good now to like have roots in London and family and home yeah it does um (laughs) that said like a lot of my friends they're like oh I live in the same like even street as my parents and definitely you know that's that's a bit too intense I'm glad that I live a couple hours away in the countryside (laughs) it's like (laughs) but definitely I consider London my home now I think that said I mean, Steve, my husband, is always calling me out on this. He's like, you're always looking for like, or you're always talking about like, I wonder like where our next move would be. And he was like, well, like, why do you feel the need to have a next move? <laughs> and in my head, because I'm like, well, because we've been in London for like over 10 years. Like, that's just mad. <laughs> and, you know, this is, this is a guy who kind of was born in Cardiff, left at 18 and went to uni and then moved to London. Like, he <laughs> he's very you know, follow the kind of typical path of someone here. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think I would always be open to like moving somewhere. I think obviously now I have my business here, so it'd be a little bit difficult to, um, but yeah, maybe not London, maybe somewhere else in the UK, but that's what I do miss living in Asia because, you know, it's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) 
On that note, and Hannah and I sound really creepy, like we've like memorized your itinerary, but you first visited <laughs> Korea <laughs> in 2014 <laughs> for a three-week holiday. Um, and then two years later, you and your husband, Steve, decided to live there for four months. Mm. Um, can you tell us about how you came to that decision? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of mentioned earlier, I had no real interest in Korea growing up. I didn't know anyone Korean. I definitely didn't know anyone that was adopted from Korea. Um, And I think as a result of that, I just kind of rejected that side of me. Like I actually, to a point, really didn't like having to acknowledge the fact and say to someone, oh, I'm actually adopted from Korea. Like I just wanted to be accepted as Australian or accepted as British. Um, and wasn't really interested in it at all. And then I don't know what hit me, but yeah, I think it must've been like early twenties. I, I just became really curious, just like constantly wondering, like I would wake up and it, it just became such an intense feeling of, yeah, curiosity that I thought, okay, well, like, why don't I go? But then the idea of going like scared the life out of me as well. But then, you know, thankfully at that age, you've got things like YouTube and you're kind of seeing stuff and you're seeing people's vlogs about Korea. And I was like, well, actually, it looks like a pretty cool place. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of floated the idea to Steve going like, you know, could we do a holiday there, take two weeks off work, um, manage to negotiate three, which is really good and experience it. And like I didn't at the time in 2014, I didn't want to do anything like, you know, go to ECW. I didn't want to do anything like try and hunt my birth family at that point. I just wanted to like experience the culture and kind of get to know it a little bit. Yeah, I remember being really anxious in the lead up and like even at times going like, oh, I don't know if this is what I want. And it was actually my parents that were like, no, I think you have to go. Like they actually gave me the money for Steve and I to fly to Korea at that time. And they were like, this is going to be the best thing for you. Like wow. we adopted from Korea because we loved it. <laughs> and you know, like you should go. And like, they had taken me when I was like five or something, but like, I don't, you know, I didn't really remember anything then. Um, so yeah, off we went. And I mean, we, we, like we did Korea in those three weeks. Like we did all of the touristy things we had, like, you know, it was like up at the crack of dawn, exploring, exploring, and we kept busy every day and absolutely like absolutely fell in love. Thought it was like the coolest place on earth. And it wasn't until the bus ride back to the airport that I just like, it's almost like I stopped, I thought about it and then I just burst into tears. And like, I remember saying to Steve, like, this feels so unfair that I've like dipped my toe in my mother, you know, dipped my toe into Korea and like, it's gone so fast. I've had the best time and I have to leave. It's, you know, 11, 12 hour flight away. I don't know if I'm ever going to be back, (laughs) like dramatic at the time, but I just thought the idea of spending three weeks here, like I just don't know when I'm going to be back. And like, it felt really unfair. Like I just remember feeling so like, this is so unfair. And, you know, little did I know that, (laughs) well, two years after I'd be living there, but it it was interesting is when I came back in 2014, it just didn't really leave that feeling of constantly wanting to go back but then you know got married started applying for a wedding kind of life gets in the way and when it all that settled yeah Steve and I were just you know typical burnt out in our jobs really didn't like it in the evenings we would watch 
vlogs of people like living in Korea and like cafe hopping and thinking like, oh God, that's not like a dream. And yeah, I think we, I, it's, it's strange, but I just kind of said like, what if we just packed it in? Like, what if we just quit our jobs and moved out there until, you know, however long we can. And yeah, I mean, Steve was all for it because he had always wanted to like go and live somewhere in Asia. He loves Korean culture as much as I am. He probably knows the words to more K-pop songs than I do. He is he basically just couldn't wait. He, like, he was like, that's the best idea ever. Let's make it happen. And yes, that's that that's basically what we did. We just quit our jobs, started saving up, and then we we moved out there for, for four months. And the idea at the time was to then really try and do a birth family search like that was the ultimate goal um but then just to experience living there and it it was interesting because I think we wanted to do six months but at the at the time after four months I was like okay like I, I think I'm ready to leave like I've got what I wanted out of it and it seemed like the right time to go so yeah Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that birth family search? It's, it's a bit of a like, confusing story. But I always thought I was in a pretty good position to do a birth family search, purely because my when I the first time I went to Korea, there was information on my birth parents in my file at ECW. And then the second time I went, it was all blanked out. So mm. I was like, okay, that's strange. Um, I definitely had the names on the file and they were like, no, there's no names on the file. Like, here's your file. As you can see, there's no information on them. And I was like, no, definitely. So when I spoke to my parents about it, they were like, well, no, because we took photocopies <laughs> of the file. Here are your birth parents' names. Here's every bit of information that we had. So I was like, okay, so that's annoying. Um, to do a birth family search kind of had to go through um, ECW and yeah, I just thought it'd be pretty straightforward. Like I had their high school, I knew their age, I knew where they grew up, I've got their names, like this should be pretty simple. It, it really wasn't. I think they said quite abruptly, like, oh, we've looked and like there's nothing. So then I kind of went through various other, like even to the point went to like private detectives, like try to find someone that would be willing to kind of take it on. I knew that, you know, both my birth parents were 17 at the time. So we knew what their age were. We knew names or at least names that they'd given. Now they think that potentially they'd given them fake names. Um, knew their high school, which apparently there was no records of those people. So, yeah, it it quite abruptly after a couple months in Korea was told, like, it's not going to happen. And the interesting thing was my adoption agency were like, it's not going to happen because um, we can't find them. And then another agency who were helping saying, we found someone that matches all of the information with your birth mother, but she doesn't want to meet you. And then someone else just said, like, it's just really hard and just to let it drop. And if I was you, I just wouldn't search, which again, it's like, who are you to kind of tell me that? But okay. So I was hearing different things from various people and naturally it's not how I pictured those four months to be in my head. It was like, well, if we find them really quickly and then I can like 
have dinner with my birth mother and like find out more about my birth father. And like in my head, I played it out to be something completely different. And then all of a sudden six months, you know, six weeks in, it's like, bam, like end. It was pretty devastating hit. And I remember just being like really upset, like really angry. Didn't want to be in career anymore. And I, you know, looking back, I was like, I was pretty depressed. Like I was just staying in bed. I didn't want to do anything. And, you know, Steve in a kind of tough love kind of way were like, we have a couple months here, you know, what is it that you want to get out of it? Like, you know, we could go somewhere else to get you out of Korea. You know, we, what do you want to do? And from the time of 2014, when I'd first been to Korea and kind of seen how big beauty was there and kind of tried a lot of products, I guess I just thought, well, I'll use this time to kind of flesh that idea out and see if it'll work. And at the time, I just started an Instagram and a blog about life in Korea and like all the beauty products I was trying and like follow me into industry and like all of this stuff. That kind of went from like a few hundred followers to like a few thousand followers and suddenly we were getting like 10,000 views. And I was like, okay, this is really interesting. Could I grow this into, into something? And that's kind of where Beauty and Soul, the company that I founded, was born. And I think it's it's interesting because I think maybe had the birth family search turned out, I probably wouldn't have then had the time to work on this business plan. I wouldn't have been so motivated to do it because I think I needed a distraction to kind of get me out of my depression and like mm. do something and in my head make this trip to Korea worthwhile. I was like, it'll be really bad if I come back to London not having done anything like that that's sounds stupid but that was what the kind of driving motivation was so yeah I used that time to like meet up with as many brands as possible um attending conferences writing the business plan setting up the stuff and yeah that was kind of how the last few months in Korea ended and then by the time I left I was just really excited because I was like I'm going to London I'm going to set this up it's going to be really good so yeah not what I went to Korea for (laughs) but you know five years on I can't I can't complain that that is a lot to set up in four months (laughs) holy shit yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. like maybe two, two and a half months actually, but uh, yeah, that is, that sounds yeah. like a flurry of, <laughs> I, I don't even know how you, actually, I don't know the first thing about setting up a business. Um, did you have like a background? Neither did I. That, no? Um, oh, like I always say that I'm like, cause every, like everyone's like, oh, entrepreneur. And I'm like, I oh, that's not me. Like, <laughs> the word is in my mind I think of an entrepreneur as someone that's like found a solution and comes up with this wacky product and is like good at sales and that kind of stuff and I was like I just went there I fell in love with skincare I started blogging about it and it like blew up like that <laughs> in my mind that's how it happened I my background was in marketing and my dad has always been very entrepreneurial with like side hustles but yeah like definitely did not think that that kind of was me like definitely not I was that kind of person that wanted to be in a company for like years work her way up but obviously like marketing CRM like my areas of expertise certainly helped I think um but at the same time I didn't speak Korean at the time you know I didn't have those connections that are quite critical in 
building a business really quickly. There was a lot of cold calling. There was a lot of just rocking up to an office and like hoping to speak to someone. Um, so so you, yeah. just, you just cold called Korean um, beauty companies without speaking Korean and you said, <laughs> like, what did you say? Like, yeah, two, this photo of me doing my first cold call and I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And then I would rock up to these conferences and I didn't like, I didn't, have a, I didn't have a website to show. I didn't have a business card at the time. I was just like a girl with an idea. And from my first trip to Korea in 2014, when I found the products, like discovered K-Beauty, when I went back and I tried to get those brands to London I realized a I couldn't I had to buy directly from Korea um and so that's kind of when I thought like oh well I could be I could be the person and I just thought well that's ridiculous because I haven't having the slightest clue about where to even start with that it was just kind of a my answer to the question what's your dream job like I just kind of parked it but two years on no one has still done it so I kind of thought yeah, well, I, like, I'll, I'll try to be that person. And like, I'd already seen them enter the US. The US was a huge market. And in UK and Europe, we're usually a few years behind the trend. Um, so I thought actually timing wise, this, this could actually be good. So yeah, that was, that was the pitch. It was like, you've seen it blow up in the US. Let me be that person to bring it to the UK and Europe. And I, I would. I didn't even have a suit with me. Like I just remember, like buying this like nice, smart-looking dress, and like yeah, just walking up to the conferences. Um, did a little kind of deck, but I didn't have a website at the time. Like I didn't didn't have a team. It was just here's my idea. What do you think? And like we left Korea having signed up seven, eight brands, and that was in January. And then we launched in the March with all of the website, all of the stock. Like we had a little warehouse in our living room. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was really, I mean, at the same time, like I was living in Korea for two months and that's like, like, that's all I, like, all I did was just like researching and like going to, you know, this, that and the other. But if I didn't have that time and yeah, ironically, if I kind of maybe found my birth parents, I, I probably wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have done it. I'm sorry that's just that's incredible (laughs) I can't believe how fast wow it's kind of it's kind of funny thinking back on it as well because it was just such a whirlwind of a year and I was so excited when like our first day we had over 100 orders and I was there like packing them I was like handwriting notes I mean we soon had to put an end to that unfortunately (laughs) I was like handwriting notes and like off it went and yeah that was that was the first year in business I would you know and then obviously having spent half a year in Asia like I came back and had to get a job so this was this was a side thing like I came back to London I got a job and I was working full-time on that and you know packing these things in the evening so yeah that was that was uh the first year and that was that was quite stressful Have you always kind of been, I don't know, like project oriented? Like, do you kind of, have you always kind of like been really excited to run with an idea and, you know, just kind of pour your energy into it? I'm just imagining there was like a track history, uh, like a track record or some sort. Like you can't just, or maybe you can. Yeah, 100%. Like 
my husband's always saying like that is you to a T and mm. I think I was spurred on I, it sounds ridiculous I was spurred on by the fact that I was like imagine if someone else did it first like mm. imagine if someone beat me to it I would not be able to like like I don't I don't think this is the best motivation but it worked for me I was like no I thought about this idea years ago I need to be the one that sees it to fruition like that literally was my driving force like I need to be the one that makes it happen like it was meant to be me and just like drilled that in and yeah just kind of worked towards it but yeah I I was a program manager for a few years as well like that is just like I love the planning element of it. It was almost as, like, as soon as it launched, I was kind of a bit like, oh God, like that was when it was, what do I do now? Because you kind of throw so much into launching it. And then the difficult part is like sustaining it. <laughs> Did you ever imagine that it would like grow to this current level? No. <laughs> like absolutely not. Like, so now you're the leading um, K-beauty online store in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, I'd say because we were one of the, well, the first one to go there, we've got probably the largest brand collective. We also don't work through suppliers. Like we try and cultivate the relationships with the brands themselves so that, you know, A, we can do co-brand and marketing initiatives, but then also it just means that it's guaranteed to be authentic. So yeah, we've taken kind of pride in ourselves for that. I think at the time when I set it out, I didn't have... Like, I didn't even have a figure in my head of, like, what I wanted to make in the first year or how many sales. Like, the idea of starting it was just so that, A, it would give me a connection to South Korea and, B, it would give me a reason to go to South Korea. Like, that's actually why I started it. And so, yeah, I think on the first day when we had quite a few orders for, you know, first day of a small business, we were like, okay, we definitely are onto something here. But then to kind of, double year on year for the last four years it's been pretty crazy journey (laughs) like definitely did not did not expect it to be this level and now even we're kind of talking about expanding our team and then what does office space look like like I never in a million years would have thought that that's how it would be what are the hardest parts of um like owning and managing your own business and a business of this scale. I think it's very easy to like look and be like, oh, that's so great. You're your own boss. And like definitely in terms of flexibility, it's a great thing. I think you do underestimate the benefits of having a kind of nine to five paid job is that, for example, a lot of the time it's just me. Like a lot of the time it's, you know, people kind of complaining that in lockdown, it's like really hard to motivate yourself because it's just you and you're not like meeting with like that that is a lot of the time what it's been like you have to be your biggest motivator your biggest fan sometimes you have no one to bounce ideas off like you've just got to run and go with your gut I found that really hard like I found it really hard to kind of get myself into a routine get myself into like really fire me up and motivate myself like every day because you know, you haven't got a boss saying, I need you to come into work at X. I need this done by, you know, next Friday. You just, you just got to be like that constantly yourself. So I found that really difficult. Um, and then 
you've got to be a jack of all trades. You know, my background was email marketing or marketing and CRM, loyalty schemes, but didn't really have an idea about financials, didn't really have great negotiation skills, didn't really, ha- had to learn social media. Um, like all of these things you suddenly just have to do. You kind of become a little bit of a jack of all trades type person. And then there's there's also, I'd say the hardest thing is this, there's never any switching off. Like it's, you're constantly, you know, like even on holiday, I will be on emails every, like I can't, I can't switch off. So, you know, last year when I had COVID for three weeks, I think if you were in a job, you'd call your boss and you'd be like, I have COVID, here's my sick note. I'll see you when I'm better. <laughs> like that was the case for me. I have no one to hand over to. So it was just me in bed with my laptop, like just working through it. Um, and oh, yeah. That's that. That's the that's the downside, and that's the part that probably no one sees. <laughs> but um, it definitely has its positives. But like any job, I think uh, there's always going to be challenges as well. Sorry, just one more little question. I'm curious, like when you have to learn something for the first time and you don't know how to do it, right? Like so, like financials or social media, as you said. Um, where do you start? Do you, do you just like, I don't know, do you just like Google like, oh, how to make a business budget? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Google, there's a lot of YouTube, there's a lot of blog reading, and there's a lot of just turning to anyone in my network that has any experience in that. Trolling through LinkedIn going like, great, you're a brand manager. Hi, <laughs> like, can you help me with this? Um, that that takes some courage, especially if you're like a little bit of a control freak like myself. Like you just got to reach out to someone because that's their area of expertise and you can't know it all. And so as soon as I kind of unlocked the ability to do that, I was like, okay, I need to do more of this. Just reach out to people. And so many people are always willing to help. Like that's the thing, like especially if it's a friend um you know they obviously want to see your business do well so yeah there's a lot of normally it's me like I can do this I will figure it out blog reading YouTube and then realizing like either I can't or I need someone else's opinion on it so yeah I will just like reach out to someone else um that I know has background information on it um and then if not like I'm fortunate enough to be an entrepreneur accelerator so that gives me access to like lots of mentors in certain areas um, which has been really helpful as well. Um, yeah, and and that's a, a particular. Is it a government pro, uh, government funded program or what is? It's, it's actually run by um, NatWest, a bank here in the UK. So they oh, have like a big emphasis on supporting small businesses. So uh, each year they run an accelerator program where they invite. Um, well, you can apply, but then they also have like a next level program where fast growing businesses, you can apply to it and then you get access. Like if you need a finance mentor, then they can help you with that. Um, and yeah, I have weekly check-ins with my acceleration manager. And again, it's just nice because you have someone to bounce ideas off and it's not just you working from home every day, just like trying to figure it out yourself. So yeah, that's been really helpful. Is your dad proud of you? Like, proud of your <laughs> because he was all, always like an entrepreneur. Yeah, he loves it. He's always been 
entrepreneurial, more in the like he so he was um he works for Cisco as a program manager, so um more in the kind of like technical side. But so he had other various like tech freelance type projects on the side of that. But of all his kind of like ideas, I don't think like any one of them took off. So now he's just like I think he it just really excites him the fact that he can do it with his daughter. <laughs> it's like it gives him very pleasure. He's like, oh my god. Um and the funny thing was like he retired the year that I started Beauty and Soul. So I was like, I have a retirement dad, you can help me. So um like he does all of the like operations, so all of the imports, exports, and liaising with the warehouse on stock intake, um, and then he also does all of our monthly financial reporting. Um, so he loves it because he's just like, a, it's giving me something to do in my retirement, keeps his you know brain working, <laughs> and then the fact that he's doing it with his daughter and her business, he like you know he's just really he likes that, and you know I'm I'm really lucky because. We haven't had any investment to date to get set up, to get our first lot of stock. It was my dad that put in the initial investment. So my dad basically gave me £10,000 and he said, here's your kind of like startup loan. You have to pay it back to me in two years, whether or not you've made it or you're not. Like, this is the loan. These are the terms. And he said for any startup, the make or break point is after two years. And uh, I paid him the 10 k back after five months. So, yeah, he he was like, well, that was a great investment. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's been it. Like, he definitely is, like, super, super excited, super happy about it. Something that I found and continue to find really interesting is how many men in Korea use beauty products. Mm. And I'm wondering, like, what have you noticed, I guess, about the UK market? And is there a kind of take up among men or, or mask, you know, more masculine presenting people? Definitely. When we started, it was, I mean, it still predominantly is female. I'd say our split was when we started, maybe like literally 98% female, 2% male customers. Now that's kind of gone down to like 90, 10. There's definitely been a rise in male customers and I think that's been helped by the fact there's now a lot more male skincare influencers so if you think about like James Welsh skincare by Hiram some of the big heavyweight skincare influencers are male and that's definitely helped the way that we've marketed is that skin is skin like everyone has it it's your largest organ why would you not take care of it and I think a lot of people naturally think that yeah skincare is this like girly whatever ritual but actually it's just you're looking after yourself and no matter what your gender is you should want to look after yourself I mean don't get me wrong when I first met Steve my husband I think he used shower gel to wash his face and then I was like (laughs) no here's a cleanser here's a toner here's a moisturizer Here's a facial oil to use after you shave. You'll thank me later. And then, yeah, like now he's just like, oh, are you are you sheet masking? Yeah, have you got one for me? <laughs> <laughs> so he'll come to me and he's like, I really love this sheet mask. I was like, I, did I say that you could use that one? Like, no. Does Steve have beautiful skin now? <laughs> he does have beautiful Like, I'm like, you're welcome, Steve. Like, he got ID the other day. We got ID the other day and he's 40 next year. 
So <laughs> that is a good testimonial. It's got that Korean glow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of your husband, Steve, I kind of wanted to ask, like, it sounds like that he was, like, with you, like, every step of the way along this journey of going to Korea for the first time and then living there and then and then that point where, um, you know, you were, like, struggling with the way your birth family search turned out and he was like, well, what do you want to do with the rest of our time here? Yeah. It just sounds really, like, lovely and supportive and I was, I just wanted to ask, like, what that means to you or a huge amount like you said every step of the way it not there's not many partners I think that would like it was a sacrifice for him for sure I mean he didn't like his job at the time either so he was like yeah let's go but you know you're still uprooting from family and friends and I had grown up in a lot of different places my whole life. So for me, I'm just like, I'm just moving for four months. That's nothing. But, you know, for him, that's that's a big deal. And he's very close to his family. So, yeah, 100%. And it mustn't have been easy for him, I think, to kind of see the state I was in in Korea. And, like, bless him, he told me years later that he was, like, looking at where to go near Korea for, like, a beach holiday in case it just got really bad and I just woke up and said I need to get out of Korea like I just can't really take it anymore and you know he was integral in setting up Beauty and Soul as well we are really lucky that we've got quite complementary skills because I'm the talker the planner and like marketing and anything like that whereas he's just like technical he built the website he does analysis he sets up x y and z I go with my gut he goes with facts like you know we make a really good team (laughs) so that's that's like so important and like I definitely would not have been able to like get through that period without him like absolutely not You've talked about um, mental health a little bit on your Beauty and Soul Instagram account. So it seems like that's a cause that that's important to you and it's important to you to like speak openly about it. Um, I'm wondering like what does managing your own mental health look like for you? Oh, good question. For me, Beauty and Soul was kind of born out of like possibly the darkest period of my life and I think I'm always grateful the fact that I have been in Seoul, but then I just think that it's really important to remember how it started. And I think that kind of keeps me grounded as a person. And it also just wants me to, I don't know, just help share that it's not all like great. And I think, especially on Instagram, which is the platform where I kind of first started talking about it and my life and career and stuff I kind of went silent when the birth family search ended and then I thought well actually like why is that I should you know if you share the highs you share the lows as well and I think particularly in the beauty industry it can get such a bad rep and then you combine that with social media it can be really difficult and I think as a girl that grew up with you know quite bad social anxiety you know, issues relating to like food and like binge eating. I think it's really important to talk about that. And no matter how small your platform is, I think you've got to be open about that because 
when I, when if I post something and someone's like, oh my god, you've got like great skin, it's like that's lighting, girl. Like that, you know, <laughs> it's like every skin has texture, and it shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be this obsession to get a perfect complexion because everyone's got issues, everyone's got insecurities, and I just think we need to kind of flip the conversation to embrace that. And I think, especially in the beauty industry, it's not really done. And I just really wanted to just like be a small part of that. I think for me personally, and you know, my God, 2020 was definitely a a test and trying for that. I think my mental health is something I work on each and every single day. Like I can get up some mornings and think, I could easily stay in bed today. I have no energy. I have had really poor sleep and I'm overthinking every single thing. But it's just about kind of getting that first step on the ladder to like get up and make my bed. For example, I might just get up and make your bed. And or after that, then it's like get breakfast after that. Like it's continually small steps to beat that. And I don't think many people... Yeah, I just open about it. And I think everyone struggles with something. I think specifically during these times of lockdowns, probably a lot of people have struggled. And yeah, I just think as someone that didn't really talk about it growing up, I think it's just good to to be open about it. And especially on social media, it's probably where I talk a lot about it because I just think it's very easy to just produce content that's like achieve this or like look how great this is um life's not all kind of glitz and glam um and I think it's just important to yeah just be relatable and and talk about things that affect a lot of people how did you go from like being a person who struggles with social anxiety to like cold calling all these businesses and like negotiating deals and like you know networking at conferences and things it still gives me every time I do it I mean I had to give a talk last week for career tourism about skincare and like Steve will tell you I didn't sleep for two days before and like couldn't eat so again that's kind of like what you see what you don't see um for me I just don't think you magically get rid of it like I just think you just got to battle and like you know work your way through it um the idea of cold calling the idea of answering the phone sometimes still gives me fear um if I see that I've got lots of whatsapp notifications it gives me fear um so (laughs) how I cold called I had Steve sat next to me going like this a lot (laughs) (laughs) thumbs up people who can't see (laughs) and literally a script written out in front of me but was I shaking yes did I feel like peeking afterwards a hundred percent for me like being strong or like having good mental health. It's not about not having that feeling. It's about how you battle through it. So, you know, strong mental health isn't me not having a fear of cold calling. Strong mental health to me is doing it anyway, despite having this fear. Or it might be, I'm too shy to go to this event and I don't want to network. Like good, strong mental health is, you know, going there. And I'd say nine times out of 10, I end it or I leave that event and I'm like, that's, that was so good. Like that was so beneficial to me or I'm really proud of myself that I went out of my comfort zone. And I did that. And 
you know, those things slowly chip away to make you be a lot more, I don't know, confident and capable. I think me five years ago would never have wanted to do a talk, like absolutely not. Me five years ago probably wouldn't have even wanted to like, you know, speak on a podcast. But I think now it's just like, if you're constantly putting yourself slightly out of your comfort zone and like pushing through it, the benefits far outweigh that feeling of anxiety before. And I've learned that, like I've just, I've learned that over the years that it's, yeah, that is what being strong is. Um, It's just kind of pushing through it, even if you're not very comfortable with it. (laughs) You are such an inspiring person, Marie. Thank you. Like, I, I mean, I just, for someone who yeah is also open about mental health struggles i mean you've you've just you, you still you accomplished so much um i mean thank you for yeah just sharing all of that and you know giving us an insight into those just those little moments where it's like you know you're really nervous about something or like you don't feel like doing something but but you you manage to do it and like just keep chipping away at it that's amazing yeah. Aww. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so we've just got some like silly little questions. They're they're all easy. Um, yeah. <laughs> number one, what's your number one skincare tip for the uninitiated? Ooh, learn your skin type. I think so many people don't understand their skin type and so they just default to saying i have combination skin um because it's like well i have yeah it's like it's oily and dry and that will that basically you know can cover a whole spectrum of things but actually most people were on the dry side so um what i will tell customers is if you wash your face and then leave it to dry does it feel tight at all afterwards um once you dry it and if so then you probably have dry skin type um and oh can i do another tip is don't over exfoliate because i think a lot of people with oily skin or a lot of people with problematic skin thinks that they need to like use exfoliation techniques whether chemical or physical to get rid of anything and you're actually causing more damage to your skin barrier that is so informative. Like, I must admit, I'm the combination <laughs> skin person because I'm like, oh, that's just D. That's just option D. That's all of the above. Yeah, it like, is. That's the simple, yeah. like, same as all one. of the above. <laughs> <laughs> so thank, thank you for that. <laughs> this is kind of an extra little, like, add-on question. But I was just curious, do you modify your skincare routine, like, um, like based on your uh, – like hormonal cycle. Like I find that I just have days where I'm just like way more oily. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Like there's obviously going to be periods where your skin is oilier. So I will then use an exfoliant. I will move to a lighter moisturizer. Um, And it's the same as like, I think that's just about getting to know your skin. Like everyone's skin is different. And when I try and explain that to people, because 
they're all they're always like oh my best friend really loved this cream and it didn't work for me it's like well yeah because you don't have the same skin as your best friend <laughs> so like you need to know your, that's why i say you need to know your skin type you need to know what products work best for your skin type and changes whether that be hormonal changes seasonal changes so for example in winter you may want to use more hydrating products in summer probably want to use more lightweight products um it's it's just about knowing i i have a few toners open a few moisturizers open and i will use it some days i'll wake up and if i've had a salty dinner my skin might feel you know a little rough and dry so i'll adapt accordingly and to me that's what kbd is it's none of this kind of 10 step routine you got to use every product on the sun it's no wake up what does your skin feel like today and then treat it accordingly and here are 10 product categories that you can use to achieve that not use all 10 at the same time um so yeah actually i have more like skincare questions now that we think about it (laughs) i i think i read somewhere like on your blog or social media that that you don't dry your face or that you put toner on when your face is still wet after you cleanse i do that if my skin's dry yeah or during winter just oh, help okay. seal and as much moisture as possible so you wash your face with cleanser and then you just kind of like like shake off your face <laughs> and then- i was gonna say for listeners hannah is just like shaking her face rigorously <laughs> <laughs> like a wet dog just like shaking around <laughs> and then you take the toner and just like pat it onto your like wet face yeah so I'll, I'll usually wash my face and then I'll walk from the bathroom to my vanity and then I'll usually just like pat off like any things that's like too wet I mean don't have like a full dripping face um and then like I'll usually just go in with a toner and then pat in and then leave that for a little bit until I put in my serum if my skin's feeling really dry um you can towel dry obviously um I wouldn't I would just make sure if you towel dry that your towel isn't anywhere near like in the bathroom or by the toilet <laughs> just in case there's any bacteria floating around in the air um that you're then kind of like putting back on your face no one wants that so mm. okay i think i just have like one final skin question <laughs> <laughs> i also read <laughs> that <laughs> now you wear spf like all the time even inside yeah is that right Yes. I, so even on a cloudy day in the middle of winter inside? For me, SPF, I mean, even sitting by the window, like windows don't shield us from all UV rays. So you're still kind of susceptible to some here. And then also for me personally, sunscreen, wearing it every day is just a really good way to protect your skin and also really helped me with getting rid of any pigmentation and evening out my skin tone. Mm. It just kind of helps fade and reduce the risk of getting any any kind of um hypermigmentation and it it was only because when I had my skin analyzed when I went to South Korea because obviously you know they have all of these amazing tools and I I thought I'm like I'm not I don't have any hypermigmentation like my skin's pretty good and then deep down they were like it was it was like average 
Um, and they were like, you don't reapply your sun cream. And I was like, oh, my God, I feel seen. So, yeah, it's, it is amazing how even on the surface it doesn't appear to be bad, but deep down, which is the worst part, um, it, can, it can affect you. And also another one that people forget is applying SPF on a plane because um, obviously you're closer. So uh, don't, don't be fooled that you don't need SPF whilst traveling because it still holds true. You, you wouldn't necessarily have to use a factor 50 in the winter um, if you didn't want to. I personally do. Um, but I think, you know, most estheticians will say as long as it's a, a good factor 30 um, and an SPF by itself, none of this primer with SPF or moisturizer with SPF. Like, no, I will use a SPF by itself. We've, we've been schooled, Ryan. <laughs> I feel very much like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay um, all right vegemite or marmite vegemite absolutely vegemite i have this argument with so many people in the uk they're like no oh, but it's the same i'm like don't even get me started <laughs> <laughs> definitely vegemite. um and what kind of korean ramyeon do you like best and how do you eat it like do you add stuff or for me shin ramyeon just the og I drain my ramyeon. I don't know if that's really weird, but I actually don't really like the soup because I find it a bit too salty. So I'll drain it and then I will cut up spring onion and cut up the seaweed and put it on. If I'm feeling fancy, I'll add an egg, but that's extra effort, so it depends. (laughs) Current favorite TV show? Ooh, the latest thing I want, well, okay, hang on. This could be difficult. I'll go K-drama and then I'll go like TV show. Succession. So uh, Succession, it's a HBO series. Amazing. Like probably best thing I watched in 2020. Um, Yeah, just absolutely great. Um, I do watch a lot of K-dramas. Guilty. And I... I'd say if I had to be two that I watched recently, it was It's Okay to Not Be Okay and Startup. You know, I had to watch, I had to watch Startup. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, both on Netflix, both very good. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, God, I could be here all day talking about Netflix stuff. <laughs> it's like, that is really bad. Signal is also a great K-drama. Ah, okay. I, I have seen those. Oh, okay. Yes. Really liked Signal. Okay. Well, I don't have any more questions, Ryan. I think my other, I think I asked them all. They're all skincare questions. Oh, they're all skincare. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, actually, this is really random, but I just wanted to tell you this is not even a question. <laughs> We're getting to the comment section. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The comment section. <laughs> my favorite toner or actually i don't yeah. even know if you call it a toner or if you call it an essence is still that Hunskin hyaluronic yeah. Yeah. yeah i just really love that texture it's like i yeah. i still like can't go past that yeah it's just it's one of those products it's just like it does what it says there's like there's no added fragrance there's no you know all of this gimmicky stuff it's just a really high quality hyaluronic acid um yeah essence it's it's become really popular as well 
just felt this need to like to, yeah tell you about my favorite turn off. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Marie. Yeah, thank you. No, thanks, guys, for having me. There's such an international lot on here. (laughs) 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 Follow Marie on Instagram at Marie Kinder and at beauty underscore and underscore soul. Check out her online store at www.beautyandsoul.co.uk. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're on Twitter at Adopted Feels. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.